Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. This is the good stuff. Oh, yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. Over there is your host, Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. And I'm another host, Richard Lusk. How are you doing? I am doing well. I, I'm happy. Summertime's here, so I get to get caught up on movies. This is a movie we had to get caught up on. I uh, actually saw it advertised in Walmart about a month ago <laughs> on DVD. But then I saw it was streaming on DirecTV, and I was in the mood for a Western, a satisfying Western movie. Because of the our last experience with the Westerns in the theater wasn't that great. Uh, Jane got a gun. We weren't really happy with Jane got a gun. But no. this movie yeah, okay. is the Donald Sutherland, Keith, Kiefer Sutherland uh, starring Forsaken. Mr. Clayton, are them stories true about the men you killed? kept asking ourselves what we'd done wrong that filled you with so much hate. Why did you return to Fallon? Wanted to try something else. I'm not sure there is something else for men like us. The thought of coming back to you was the only thing that got me through that damn war. I'm married. Married? Going on eight years now. I thought you knew. Is you going to be a problem? I feel you and I are headed for an inevitable conclusion. If I was looking for trouble, you'd already know it. Stay inside. You're going to try to push them off homesteads they've been living on all their lives. And if we're still here? Then I'd start looking for a black dress. I do admire your restraint, but I also know if you kick a dog long enough, he's going to bite. In 1872, Wyoming, a former gunslinger, played by Kiefer Sutherland, and his estranged father, played by Donald Sutherland, encounter a ruthless businessman and his gang of thugs. This originally came out uh, February 19th, 2016, but it was also in the Toronto Film... uh, It's a Canadian movie, so it came out in the Toronto Film Festival. And it won an award, or it was nominated for a Canadian Screen Award for Achievement in Makeup. (laughs) Which is a little hard to believe. I don't remember a whole lot going on with makeup in the film. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, directed by John Kasser, who worked on a lot of TV shows, including the movie 24, which uh, where he directed Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. I keep saying Kiefer. Kiefer Sutherland probably made his, his bones on 24. That's where he became really popular. Although so he Kiefer, was in Kiefer the... Kiefer Sutherland did? I think so. Don't you? I thought Kiefer Sutherland was part of the Brat Pack of the late 80s. Yeah, but I mean, who else in the who else was in the Brat Pack that's like famous now that people care about? Rob Lowe, Demi Moore. Again, Demi Moore's in this movie. She is, which is one <laughs> of the reasons why I was able to pull her out. But he was second tier. He wasn't of the Rob Lowe uh, Brat Packish. Yeah, Sutherland definitely got a big career boost from Twenty Four. I think that's where he became popular. If, if you said. Kiefer Sutherland, they, they wouldn't name uh, Max Dugan Returns as one of his movies. 
or uh, Blowout. I don't even think he was in Blowout. Yeah, that's John Travolta. John Travolta. But, I mean, he's always been a talented actor, but his dad was also really, or, and still is, a very talented actor who was mm-hmm. never top tier. But Sutherland was great in movies like A Time to Kill, uh, right. Young Guns. Stuff like I that. liked Young Guns. I liked him in that Western. I'm a huge Kiefer Sutherland fan because of 24. I mean, he's that's my kind point. of iconic, you know, up there in the way like Chuck Norris. His career was uh, invigorated from doing uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Just 24. I mean, there were times you just went, ah, Jack Bauer. Yeah, 24 hit uh, the cultural zeitgeist and made a big, big splash. Love the 24. Uh, Forsaken, maybe not so much. Did, didn't make as big a, sl- a splash when it came out in February or then it, when it went to DVD in March. But I have to say, I was very satisfied watching it. It was like, it was like having a good home cooked meal. <laughs> and when I was done, I was like, meh, there it is. And there it is. It's a good movie. I, I enjoyed pretty much every part of it. I mean, there were some slow parts and some things we can talk about later, but I wonder what your take on the movie was. I enjoyed it. I thought for a Western, it, it's solid. I can see why it didn't get much promotion, though. In today's society, Westerns aren't big money makers generally, and this had a feel of a Western from the early 90s, maybe late 80s. Oh, I mean, it goes all the way back to the you know early Western tropes in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I mean, but... If I didn't know when this movie was made, if you just, you know, showed it to me with no background, I would think, oh yeah, 80s, 90s. I mean, it just, it has that feel and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. The actors in this film, uh, we haven't even talked about Brian Cox is in this. Michael Wincott is in this as mm-hmm. well. Great character actor. So cast, I think, is, you know, where this movie shines. Story-wise, there's not a whole lot to it. It's pretty basic. But yeah, the whole thing just works for me. Pretty basic uh, lone gunman returns home, sort of the prodigal son sort of thing. And, uh, of course, he has to encounter his ex-love, and he has to make amends with his father. His mother has passed away. And then these thugs start to bug him. So, I mean, that's pretty standard Western movie fare. This is actually, you could play a game of spot the genre tropes. (laughs) And uh, genre, the, the thematic elements, and then, you know, it, it kind of hits all of those on the head. Um, the guilt and remorse, the lone brooding gunslinger hanging up the guns, you know, the female left behind. All of those things play into the movie. Um, and again, like you say, it's it's sort of rote. But there are some small things that the movie does to subvert expectations. And it knows that it's playing in that in that same arena as movies like Forsaken and Pale Rider. I'm sorry, uh, Unforgiven and Pale Rider and old Clint Eastwood movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will say that will point to 1994's Unforgiven as being the deconstructed Western and sort of like the end of the the age of you know modern westerns. And now there's sort of been sort of a resurgence. This movie, if if Unforgiven is a deconstruction, this movie is a reconstruction of the Western narrative. So in that sense, I was pretty happy. I'm I'm thinking of um well you always mention or you, you tend to mention Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that happen in this movie with respect to Chekhov's gun that uh the movie subverts itself on. And um uh, for instance well, I'll just mention without ruining anything. He goes into town to get a tool, mm-hmm. an implement, 
that you would assume he would he would use. Is that a spoiler? Yeah, yeah, it's it's ruined. There's no reason <laughs> to see the film now. Uh, yeah, I guess when we get into spoilers, we can talk about some of the things that they do to slightly um, defy expectations. But I also just like the idea that Kiefer Sutherland wanted to do a film with his dad. I think he did one when he was like a boy, and then they were both in A Time to Kill, but they didn't share any scenes together. Right. And he just wanted to act with his dad. It reminds me a lot of uh, On Golden Pond, uh, where the Fondas were in that. Mm -hmm. uh, Henry Fonda did it with his daughter. I think On Golden Pond is a much better film, and you know, will be classically remembered. But I, I do like seeing the two actors having some scenes together, and they both have their moments. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how much they actually look alike. I had never thought Keith or Sutherland looked a whole lot like Donald Sutherland, but when they're on the screen together, they definitely do look like father and son. Well, Donald Sutherland's got that great big white shock of hair, and he's got that heavy beard, so you kind of always think of him as being a stereotype. But they do share the same eyes. Yeah. So. But, I mean, Sutherland always just, or Donald Sutherland always just seemed much more tall and willowy, where Keith or Sutherland was stockier. I mean, he's not a large man, but he just, I don't know, he seemed more powerfully built, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. Closer but, to the ground. But in this movie, I mean, you can just kind of see where, you know, age is catching up with Donald Sutherland. And I'm glad to see him doing something that's not a Hunger Games film. Yeah, he's got a lot on the on his plate coming up, as does Kiefer Sutherland. And the other actress, or the main actress that was in this movie, Demi Moore, is sort of having a sort of a mild resurgence in her career as well. This movie showcases whatever talent she has as an actor, I think. When she appears... It, it it doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem out of... I mean, you, I, I didn't go, ooh, there's Demi Moore. She seemed like the character that she was playing. Mm -hmm. But the movie doesn't, you know... I, I'm not sure the movie does enough with her. I'm not sure if the new movie does enough with any of the characters to really make me feel for them the way I would with some other films because it's, it's sort of beholden to those genre tropes mm -hmm. and it's doing step one, step two, step three to get to the shootout at the end, that's going to be the most important thing. They cut a whole subplot out of this uh, movie. They were supposed to be uh, one of the outlaws was in love with a girl from town mm -hmm. and their love was supposed to, you know, be very similar to Keith or Sutherland and Demi Moore's lost love. So we're supposed to see, you know, echoes of the past in that they cut all that uh, B plot out of right. the film. Well, so, I didn't even know about this. So the, the, uh, which of those characters would it have been? I think you know. they even cut out the guy from oh, wow. her. But the movie, the original excised. cut was well over two hours long. So they excise, you know, they cut all that out and now we have a 90 minute Western. I think it does. I, I appreciate the speed and the, and the fact that the movie moves at a pretty good clip mm -hmm. because you kind of want to see what happens next and you kind of want to see what happens next. And then when it happens again, you're, you're left with, uh, I mean, Something has to happen to make you want this character to get his revenge. Because that's basically what these Western movies are, is protection and revenge. And when that thing happens, him actually picking up the guns becomes a, you know, a satisfying thing for you in the audience, I think. So I was, uh, I was happy for the most part, although I thought some decisions that they made were kind of random. And then some things happened that were just sort of random and only occurred to service the next plot point would be an example of that brian cox plays james mcgurdy and then reverend clayton visits him one night 
and uh, you hear, oh yeah, we used to be friends, which isn't really established by anything else prior to the movie. And he's begging him for something, and he says, you know, relying on my friendship, I, I want you to do this thing. And, uh, of course, McGurdy says no, drops the F-bomb on him, and Clayton leaves. What happens next seems to be random and out of the blue, and, again, only to service the next plot point and the next thing that will happen later on in the movie. And I thought, wow, there's no really, there's really no reason for this event to happen here. And I would argue that they set up that that sort of thing can happen from early events. Uh, there, there's a great scene with Michael Wincott. Yeah, but his character the restraint set that up. the restraint of Michael Wincott is a strength for what McGurdy wants to accomplish. Mm-hmm. McGurdy would be better off following Wincott's lead throughout the movie in order to to get his goal to reach his ultimate goal. So the event that happens after Clayton visits McGurdy at his saloon subverts anything that McGurdy has in mind. And so it doesn't, or it, it, it makes it harder. This is getting hard to talk about without giving away stuff. Well, I think that it's a, it's a salient point in terms of how the movie is sort of beholden to certain devices. And then things sort of seem contrived. Uh, whereas a movie like Bone Tomahawk, the other Western that we mentioned last year was on one of our top 10, or I think is on my top 10, probably your top 10 list too, from last year, didn't have to rely on those conventions and it didn't necessarily follow, all, uh, you know, step, follow, step, follow, step. It's, and it's harder to, uh, to predict. This movie was easy to predict, even though I, I was surprised at how effectively the movie changed around our expectations while also being completely predictable. Because when you look at it afterwards, it's met all these steps and it's done all these things and put these ducks in a row so that the final events can happen. Uh, okay. Sure. I just see it as a weakness in the film. I, I, I think that they could have done some things differently to, to put the final conflict into play and they didn't have to rely on that. Uh, see, I think Random they're trying event. to set up different antagonists to the film, where Brian Gotts' character is just evil, he's just out for riches, and that's very much a stereotypical character. He has his various henchmen, most of them are just young and dumb and a little too violent for their own needs, and then you have the the wiser, older gunfighter played by Michael Wincott, who, even though he is a villain in this film, we like him and we respect him. At one point in his life, he was a good man, and while he now does things he doesn't like having to do, he tries to do them with some honor and with the least bloodshed possible. Right. So I think that's why we like and respect him. So we're getting three different villain types, and I think story-wise, the events that happen with Donald Sutherland's character make sense if you're trying to keep those, you know, clear-cut characters. Yeah, I'm not saying that they make sense uh, that they don't make sense. I'm just saying that I think the movie could have handled those events differently and not been and and, and made for a better experience overall. I think that the, it lacked orig- originality there and I thought it was a little bit lazy. Um another example is the subplot with Demi Moore and how he returns home to her and she's married and then her husband obviously thinks that something's going on between the two of them. I, I thought that that could have been handled with a little bit more subtlety. Plus, 
this movie probably should have been made 15 years ago. Yeah. In order for the storylines to, I mean, with these same actors, because Demi Moore is what, 53? Sounds about Donald right. Donald Sutherland's 49. Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. Well, he left in the movie, in movie time. He left eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So he left when she was 45. The chances of Demi Moore making it through that town up to the age of 45 and their like, childhood sweethearts mm-hmm. for 45 years is pretty slim. Well, some people go through long courtships, I've heard. <laughs> right. Yeah, but when in, in the eighteen in eighteen seventy two, man, forty five. Sure. In eighteen seventy two, when you're forty five, you've already hit old age. If you haven't died from dysentery or a random uh, Indian arrow to the head, <laughs> random bone tomahawk flying yeah. through the air. Sure. I think I think that uh, yeah, it would have been better, and the movie would have been more believable if. The actors were younger. So, anyway. It was uh, Demi Moore's best acting performance since Bunraku. Bunraku? Yeah. You've got me there. I don't even know what that film is. Uh, That's another revenge movie. From when? Uh, 2011, maybe? 2010? Okay, yeah. That's probably more recent than uh, Mr. Brooks. I liked her Mr. Brooks a lot. Uh, Detective Tracy Atwood. I like Demi Moore. I don't think she's a spectacular actress, but she's fine. She's serviceable. Uh, I like Brian Cox. He plays evil really well. He's there only to say the F word. He seals he seals the R rating for them. He's oh, the, they would have gotten it from violence. He's the only one that uses the F word, though. Yeah, but he uses it well. I mean, and he, he is the original ways. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> he uses it several ways. So... What do you mean? Like from he's the first person to play Hannibal Lecter. Oh, okay. He played it in uh, Manhunter, which is uh, the Red Dragon storyline, the prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Right, but that doesn't really have anything to do with this. I, I'm trying. I was trying to link him back to famous villains. Okay, and he does play a villain. He does play evil really well. Well, he is the one percenter who has to buy up all the farmland because the train is coming through. <laughs> Trope number one seventy nine in your Western movies. But this is why we go and watch westerns. This is why we wanted to even review this film. Because all you had to do was tell us it's a western. And yeah. then you look at the cast and you go, oh, two Sutherlands, a Cox, and a Moore? <laughs> I'm in. Well, what, is, what the last western we watched was Jane Got a Gun. And it and we went to see that and based we on the cast that. alone. <laughs> right. And, it, and it, it let us down. The Killing Room, that, that was sort of a letdown. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it. No, so much of a letdown for you, I didn't go and watch it. <laughs> and I'm trying to think. Slow West, you enjoyed. I enjoyed that one, too. But that came around the same time as Bone Tomahawk. In fact, I think I saw that first. But I did watch another movie this weekend called uh, Traded, which I can't remember the actors that are in it. But uh, it's I, bought, I got it because it was a Western, and the storyline seemed like it would be interesting. And it's nothing like this movie. It just it takes... 25 minutes for the main conflict to get started but this movie at least you know what the conflict is before even the title screen i mean you know this guy's got an internal conflict that results from something and that was shown and not told uh until we find out later what that thing is so i kind of like that i like that there's i mean you can see here's Kiefer sutherland's a close-up of Kiefer sutherland and then something has happened and it's caused him to act this way so yeah i mean This movie is a very quick 90 minutes. It goes by, but I like my Westerns slow as a general rule. Westerns Uh, are supposed to be slow and brooding. Except for uh, um, 
was it Peaks or Coogan's uh, <laughs> Sidetrack or what was that movie I made uh, you watch and uh, you hated? Yeah. Uh, Meek's Cutoff. Coogan's Sidetrack. Meek's Cutoff. That's is slow. Way that's too a slow western. But, but also, just nothing happens in that. I like in the I western disagree. that you're waiting for that shootout and that these people know that their lives could be ended at any moment. So, you know, the movie is constant tension. That's what I like about Westerns. To me, this director, John Kazer, he's directing this film like he has to direct a lot of episodes of TV. Stuff has to happen. And this really does feel like a, you know, made-for-TV movie where it would fit into a two-hour time slot and uh, scenes end, you know, right about the 10-minute mark so you could fit in a commercial break throughout the whole thing. I don't think he was doing this on purpose. I think this is just because he's been directing TV for 15 years. Yeah, it's part that of it, the narrative. It just structure. comes into him doing his first feature film. So, I mean, I liked it. Yeah, I agree. And if someone told me they like westerns, I could recommend this film. But if you don't like westerns, I wouldn't recommend this film to you. If you like Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. I thought he put up a pretty good performance. All right. If you're if you're a big fan of Michael Wincott. This is the movie to go watch. Yeah, I, I was looking at his filmography to be like, oh yeah, he's the guy from you know this film that you know. But while he's been in tons of films, really small parts. Yeah, he's that guy. Like, oh, that, that guy. Yeah. yeah, he did remind me a little bit of Matthew Fox though from last year's Bone Tomahawk. Just that sort of a uh, gentleman dandy sort of thing. I think his name is Gentleman Dave Turner in this mm-hmm. movie, and uh, he's playing that stereotype. I didn't like the way he held his hat, or he wore his hat, though. I was a little perturbed by that. I don't know. I, I liked him. If we're seeing he was in, those were the best scenes I in agree. the whole film. I agree. So he, he stole this out. However, there is something I can talk about with that in spoilers. All right. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. So the final shootout that never happens between Michael Wincott and uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Were you let down by that? Or was it just another similar sense of satisfaction that you had with, okay, he's not the true villain. This other guy is. No, I, I, yeah, I like that even though that breaks that whole Chekhov's gun rule for me. Right. That should be something I don't like, but I, I thought it was all well done i thought it was kind of funny it fits with the character yeah and already i knew something was up when you know they're talking oh yeah we're gonna have to you know, again this gunfight uh um you got me at a disadvantage uh, my gun's really heavy yeah you mind if i go switch it out well you kind of knew like, that what, <laughs> what is going on like that that's awesome you 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 thought that that i i i liked that originality and getting him away to go back and face his main adversary. And then sort of the shootout between them, but Brian Cox falling through the uh, railing onto the streets in front of Dave Wincott's character, Dave Turner was a little bit overwrought. I mean, Oh, see, I was laughing at that because that felt very uh, eighties as well, because it was clearly a stunt double. It was a much taller man who was wearing a lot of padding to look like he had the larger frame of Brian Cox. Right. And then, you know, having the arm up to block his face so you right. could see it. I thought that that was really, really funny. I, I was thinking, though, that Turner would have seen him out there on that porch. 
It wouldn't have been that much of a surprise. He well, would have seen him out there from the street. I love that he was able to open up his window and crawl out there super quietly so Keith or Sutherland couldn't hear him. I did think, though, that there was a... I thought there was a gunshot that he heard in the other room. And Keith or Sutherland goes into the other room, and I thought when they showed... They didn't show Cox there. I thought for a second that he may have shot himself, killed mm. himself. And then I thought, well, that's going to that's gonna be just sort of dissatisfying. But then he shoots through the window. And I thought, oh, it goes back to being sort of satisfying again. But then it's sort of dissatisfying in the sense that he doesn't have the final shootout with Dave Turner. But they respect each other too much. For yeah, them. I know. I get it. I get it. But then, then the whole thing, the, the every event in the guy's life is then summed up at the end of the movie <laughs> all the way up into uh you know what happens to him and where he goes and who he sees how many kids he has where he winds up <laughs> he becomes a store owner in <laughs> western montana well that's what some people say yeah, the, uh, yeah. The, you know the whole sh- she wore a red ribbon <laughs> yeah, not a yellow ribbon <laughs> he wraps it around her gravestone well i was expecting keith or sutherland to pull it out of his pocket when he was having that conversation with demi moore and she's like do you still have the red ribbon <laughs> i gave you i was waiting for him to go yep right here <laughs> what about it uh i thought that that movie if what if they if they had shown him with the red ribbon before before she even mentioned it it, it would have been a i don't know it would have been a nice touch I was thinking he could have he could have had it when he first went out into the field and looked over at her house on the other on the across the way. Mm-hmm. He could have like put it in his pocket, and then when she asks him for it later, if says if he still has it, and he says it doesn't matter. Then it has a little bit more point uh, poignancy or meaning. I don't know. So there's that. Um, I thought that uh, when he goes into the f- he first something happens in his his axe. His axe head goes flying off the handle. So uh, he goes into town, gets an axe handle, and he flips it over. Mm-hmm. Like you see in uh, Pale Rider, I think. Yeah. So you kind of, and then you see them menacing one of the farmers in the street. You kind of expect him to sort of rely on that, go to that. But it doesn't happen there, and he shows restraint. That's another example I was trying to allude to earlier. In the oh, so I thought you would have said that that's more uh, the hero's journey. It's the refusal. Uh, of the call to action. Right. I guess he's, but he'd already done that a couple of times with that guy. Yeah. I, I guess. So I, I just saw him as like, here he comes. He's making a big point of him getting an ax handle. And then you never see the ax handle again. He just gets his butt kicked. So yeah, I thought all that worked. Um, you could definitely feel though, that this movie was cutting out a lot of stuff because they had to keep cutting to random scenes of farmers being shot and killed. Yeah. And I thought they did one of those scenes sort of poorly. Because the next, or they go to try to ambush, or they're going to someone's house. Oh yeah, and they get and ambushed. The, the younger guy, one of the younger guy, comes in. He says, "Yep, we're going to the to the Greaves' house, and we're going to get them tomorrow." And they're like, "You idiot! Why'd you say that?" And then, of course, they go to the house the next day, and there's a whole posse waiting for them. Uh, but it looked that looked like a a, a scene out of. Uh, three amigos with everyone popping up. Yeah, everyone popping up from behind, standing out in front of the uh, chimney and popping out from behind a haystack. You yeah. can set up an ambush in a much better way than that. Warcraft showed us this. Yeah, you gotta pop out of stuff. I mean, you don't I have think- to pop out with rifles. You don't. There's no popping out of anywhere. 
But these guys are farmers. I get yeah, it. They're not guns. They do. I, I thought it was a little bit of an homage to Young Guns when they throw uh, the case out, uh-huh. and it's got Emilio Estevez inside <laughs> of it. I was like, wow, he just fell twenty feet and had no way to cushion the the fall. <laughs> right. right. He's able to pop out with his two six shooters. I, I thought it was Go more crazy. of an homage to Three Amigos. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, there's that. But other than that, like you said, decent movie. I would recommend it. My dad would probably like it. In fact, I might even watch it with my dad. I'm sure he would like that. Yep. You guys watching this father and son Western together. Yeah, that's the thing. Could it'd you, be very fitting. Could you do a job with your dad like that? Like work full time with your dad? Uh, Clear a field? That's a lot of working with my dad. Uh, we've built some like back steps and stuff together. Done Did he, that. he didn't help you build your retro gaming council? Or no. console. Uh, I mean, he's come console. down and helped with projects around the house before. Uh, he's he's quite handy. He doesn't so. tell you what to do, and now ah, you're doing that wrong. Oh, he'll, he'll let you know when you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but uh, no, it's fun. He, w- my father, would enjoy this movie quite a bit. I think. Excellent. So, well, the fans want to know where are we standing on the uh, box office challenge. Well, I think you got all the numbers. I do. I ran the numbers earlier today because I wanted to find out where I stood because uh, we're actually right in the uh, thick of it, Mr. Mister Bull. Well, this was your chance to make up a lot of ground this past weekend. I know I was up on you by over $200 million. Well, I've, I've closed that gap a little bit, and now you're only up by $110 or $118 million Ooh. on me. But I've had, uh, and you've had four films. And you've had... I've had three. I've had only three. I have three left. My my uh, three films were Finding Dory, Alice, and The Conjuring. Now, Finding Dory, $136 million this Very weekend. strong. And uh, The Conjuring, that was a strong pick for me. It was actually my last pick. It, uh, I got $40 million on that. And then Alice, Spittle of a Letdown. I was banking on it, doing around fifty. It got thirty-four million. So my total cumulative of three films is two hundred and ten million, with a per film average of seventy. Now that's the part that scares me because I only have three films left, and I'm going to have to really do well on it. My three films that are left are Independence Day, or sorry, four films left. Sorry, sorry, my math is wrong. I have four films left. I have Independence Day, which is coming out this week. I have to have that one do at least one hundred and fifteen million. I think for me to get a shot. You said that was your number two pick. It was my number two pick. Yeah, I've had my one and two picks go up. And nope, you've only had uh, one and three. Oh, one your and number three? two pick was. Uh, well, I'll get to you in a second. Just okay, okay. Don't don't jump ahead of me there. Because I I still have Ice Age, Collision Course, Star Trek, and Suicide Squad. Now you started off the summer with 179 million Juggernaut, Captain America. That's actually worth two films, if you think about it. You got Finding Dory, yeah, but it's still it's the highest-grossing animated film ever. It's still forty million away from your movie. The highest-grossing animated film is still forty million away, which I knew that was going to be a problem, but I was expecting it to make a little bit more. You have Pets left, Secret Life of Pets, Jason Bourne, and Ghostbusters. Your I, movie X Men made eighty million, which was more than I thought it would. Yeah, but it was still less than I was banking on. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ugh, that bombed, and Central Intelligence both made around thirty-four million, thirty-four and thirty-five. Central Intelligence was my last film, though I think I picked. Your last film was Ghostbusters. It was Ghost. Yeah, okay. Central Intelligence was towards the end of my. Yeah, that's list. your sixth pick. It, it, it was Ghostbusters it is the wild card. Ghostbusters is a huge wild card. I think Born 
does an easy 50 million, and I think Secret Life of Pets could be 100 million. That's going to be hard to do, I think. But your per film average is an 82. Ooh. 82 million. Now, we have to figure out how we're going to work in the two bonus picks that we had. You and I both picked uh, um, Flop of the Year. Okay. And Sleeper Hit mm-hmm. of the Year. For the Sleeper Hit, I have um, Lights Out. And you have Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Now, I propose that whoever makes a higher percentage on the opening weekend, that gets added to the total. What, the money it makes above its yeah. budget? Yeah. Fine. And then we have to also deal with the... Uh, I mean, that helps you out a lot. Because I bet Lights Out has like a 4 or $5 million budget. I, that, they're probably both about equal. All right. Mine was filmed in Hawaii. <laughs> Does that matter? <laughs> probably we'll saved money filming it in Hawaii. Over Los Angeles? I don't know. I don't okay. know what the yeah, tax rate is. That's fine. We can do that. All right. So then we also have to add, figure out a way to add uh, in the the bomb. I think your bomb pick was BFG. Yeah, which was apparently beloved at Con, <laughs> which is good for you. And my bomb is uh, something else. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, Peach Dragon. Peach Dragon. So how are we going to work in those percentages? You could do it in the opposite way. All right. How much you made under the budget. However much it makes under the budget, that gets added to the cumulative. That's fine. I mean, both of ours, I think, had pretty big budgets. All right. Now, so we'll put all those rules down and set them out and put right them in stone. We've agreed to this, mm-hmm. but we haven't agreed on the punishment yet. Uh-oh. You clearly I've have an seen... idea here. I can already <laughs> no, see I have the no shine idea. in your eyes. I like the Hitler mustache idea. <laughs> you go to school the first day with a Hitler mustache. <laughs> but then my mustache is so pathetic and gray, yeah, yeah. no one would really be able to tell. Yeah, and I have my luscious beard. (laughs) So that's no good. Uh, I already saw Odd Thomas, so that's no good. (laughs) There has to be something better. And I really don't have an idea, but I think we should come up with something. Some punishment. Because, I mean, right now you're in the lead, Mr. T-Frames. Yeah, but I I see you're you're working the angles here. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. Either way, I mean, one of those two could be really big. BFG could go huge, and then you get, you know, well, then, then I'll get my points. No, I want it to be small. We want it to be Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. But yeah, 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 right. I was thinking Mike, Mike and Dave's, Mike, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. I enjoy doing this. All right, so. Uh, and, and if I lose because of these extra rounds you've put in there, I'd be like, I know how to pick winners. <laughs> right. I'm not good at picking the losers. Right, right. Well, either oh. way. Nevertheless. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so now you get to have, you know, your excuses. Well, I, I know some lose. of the listeners, you know, they want me to go have to watch another Star Wars movie and do oh, a commentary yeah. track on that. All right. But then the thing is, what film could we make you watch? What would be an equivalent to film do for a me? commentary track? Hmm. I'm thinking it's going to be some sort of musical. But the thing is, then I have to watch the musical, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. you already said you wanted to go watch musicals on Broadway with your... If you ever won the lottery, that's your dream, right? That would be one of the things I would yeah, do. Yeah, the first thing you'd do. Would ask, that would be the very first thing that you do. That was the first thing I could come up with uh-huh. because yeah. I, I was that's watching the one a documentary oh, okay. the day yeah, before. Yeah, sure. yeah. But you love to tell Seems that to story. Seems to me like you have that chamber. That is the story <laughs> you love to tell. <laughs> that's the thing, ready to go. 
bought your lottery ticket that day with that in mind, but nevertheless. What would you do? And I'm like, oh, I've got this documentary on my brain. Right, right, right. Documentary. You're a, you're a big documentary fan. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I can't think of any. Yeah. Maybe Footloose. Yeah, it'd be I fine. I mean, that counts as a. I don't uh, think you would hate Footloose, though. But it counts as a musical. Yeah, I, I was, well, right. people should write in. People should write in. They should write into us. Sriracha milkshake? Is that a musical? No, you gotta drink it. I'm lactose intolerant. It'd be great, plus the hot sauce. We can do this at your house. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I don't want to do anything that causes pain. Yeah. Humiliation, I'm, I'm okay with. The, the Hitler mustache? Pain, not so much. Yeah, I could just see us going into our principal... It's a bet. It's a Hitler mustache. A Shave the head? Or do I deny it's a Hitler mustache? No. Charlie it, Chaplin. It, yeah, it's Chaplin. <laughs> did you Don't see... Don't you know uh, the anniversary of his death? Did you see where Charlie... Jerk. <laughs> Charlie Chaplin entered a lookalike contest and finished in 20th place. He entered a Charlie Chaplin uh, Yeah, I heard that. I've heard that story, but I thought it wasn't. Oh, you it thought it was apocryphal? apocryphal? Yeah. No, I actually have documentation of that on the interwebs. I just saw that. Because everything we read on the internet is... I will tweet it out. Like, I tweeted out my CGI Dwayne The Rock Johnson looks just like Rod Schneider. And we got favorited and retweeted. How about shave the head? That's not fair. I'm working (laughs) with so much more hair than you are. (sighs) I don't know what my... Are you trying to say I'm bald? (laughs) Just Dean. Somewhat. (laughs) All right, speak or uh, listeners, write in. Let us know yeah, yeah. Let how us should know. we humiliate each other, <laughs> in what form and fashion. In the 1994 western Unforgiven, Little Bill Daggett, played by Gene Hackman, informs Clint Eastwood's infamous Will Money that he just shot an unarmed man. To which Eastwood replies, "Well, he should have armed himself if he was going to decorate his saloon with my friend." <laughs> so for Mister bowl over there it's been a pleasure i'm uh richard lost scale train there be dragons are you going to the movies this weekend let laugh know what you saw send in your review by emailing the show at the laugh podcast at gmail.com tweeting at the laugh podcast or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the laugh podcast The best comments will get read on a future show.